uh, start a series. I'm going to attempt to anyway. This next several uh, may go into a couple months here on answering um, answering questions our culture is asking, particularly about Christianity, some of the objections that they have. I'm going to be using as my text this morning before we jump too far into that series and giving a little uh, preface and some groundwork to that, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and the first four verses, and then we'll be looking at 1 Peter as well. Father, today as we look at your word, we want to thank you. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your power. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we look to your word today. We ask, Spirit of God, that you would come and minister to our hearts and lives where we are in need of it. We are, uh, we are often a dry and thirsty land. So Lord, send your rain. Send, your, send the presence of your spirit in a way, Lord, that it touches our hearts and lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to thank Brian LaCroix for uh, many of the thoughts that are going to share through this series um, and some of the stuff that he put together. But how many know we have a culture that needs to be engaged? How many know your culture is engaging you? Have you felt the uh, engagement of the culture in the face of Christianity in particular? There's, there's this wave that is coming, challenging everything that you believe and know to be true. It's challenging you. But I'm asking the Lord to give us an answer to the culture. The scripture says, be, be ready to give an answer when asked for that hope in Peter. It says, give an answer for that hope that you have within you. And I, I pray that the Lord is sealing something inside of you or searing something on your heart that when that's needed, there's something to be given, an answer to be given. Most people, when we address the culture, won't have so many questions as they will objections to why you believe what you believe and who you claim to be as a Christian. So what is it that keeps people from giving their lives to Christ? And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at reasons for that. But today we're going to look at a few reasons for perhaps some unbelief prefacing any of the cultural answers that we're going to address. And so look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 4, the first four verses. In the presence of God... And of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. This is Paul speaking to Timothy, who was a young pastor evangelist, and Paul is encouraging Timothy as he approaches, Paul is approaching the end of his ministry, passing the torch on, so to speak. He's giving these words to this young preacher. He says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come, say that with me, the time will come. When men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires. We are in a self-indulged culture. To suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears are wanting to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Every one of us here knows somebody who, for one reason or another, doesn't believe 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've rejected the message of truth. We, we have them in our families. We have them in our workplaces. Yet God has placed you in the place to be a voice to those that have rejected the message of Jesus Christ. When we talk about the message of Jesus Christ, it's, it's the only message. See, Jesus was confrontational to the culture. When he lived in a polytheistic society where there were multiple gods and, and they were worshiping stars and moons and all kinds of created things, the very things that God himself created, Jesus steps into the culture and he says this. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man can come to the Father. In other words, no one can understand who God creator is unless he comes through me. How many know that's a bold statement in our culture today? I've been around way too many pastors groups where the ecumenical movement tries to sway us into this believing that there are many ways to get to heaven. I've sat around tables with men who call themselves men of God, professing that there are other ways than Jesus Christ to get to heaven. I didn't hang out with them very often and very long. There is only one way. His name is Jesus. There's two truths about people. One that there are many who will reject the truth. You ever been around someone, it doesn't matter what you say to them, they're going to contradict that. And there are some who do not want to hear the truth. Verse 3, it says, For the time will come when men will will not put up with sound doctrine. Absolute truth in our culture is almost a byproduct anymore, a sideshow, if you will. Absolute truth is not even believed to be true anymore in our culture. Should this be a surprise to any of us? Why do people reject truth? And there are a few reasons. One is because it it goes against previous knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, the scripture says. There are a lot of people who have been taught lots of things, but have never confronted the truth. Of Jesus Christ. For example, someone who may have grown up in church saying that when you're baptized as a baby, you can get to heaven on that little sprinkling that happened when you were a baby. And so they've grown up with that truth, that understanding that I'm saved because I was sprinkled as a baby, and so therefore I'm going to get to heaven and I can live the way I want because I've been sprinkled. Yet when you look at the truth of the scripture, you don't find that anywhere. You find that there has to be a confrontation of your spirit man with the son of the living God. There has to be a surrendering of who you are and what you believe to everything that he is. So we have this tension of what we've been told, and it comes in conflict with the truth. And in this case, truth calls them to reject everything that they've been taught. Some of you in this room have grown up in various religious backgrounds and you've been taught certain things, but when you were confronted with the truth, you had to turn away from what you had been taught 
They were doctrines of men and literally doctrines of demons, as we will read later on. Doctrines of demons that will put on a persona, put a facade for you to chase after something to believe in that is not indeed that which is of the truth. So it goes against our previous knowledge. But also it's inconvenient. How many know we live in a convenient world? I I get upset that I have to drive to the bottom of Radio Hill to cash my check. I keep saying, God, would you just for me put a bank right here at the end of Warm Spring Road? We live in a convenient world. And if we're honest with people, when we share the gospel with them, they will know that God saves us from heaven, but he expects us to live for him here on this earth. And sometimes, in fact, most times, that living for him infringes on our convenience. This morning, some of you woke up, and your flesh was saying, you need to stay in bed. The convenience of that pillow looked really wonderful to you. But you fought the convenience and you came because the scripture says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Even so, all the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. And so you told your flesh, listen, flesh, I'm not here for convenience. I'm here for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And you submitted to that today. I shared on Wednesday that I'm reading through Leviticus in the Old Testament. When we look at the Old Testament sacrifices that were, were given... I sensed a comparison the Lord was making in my spirit to what was happening in the Old Testament and how he wants to live for us today. See, the convenience of today goes against the grain of everything that is in in Christ. We love this loving God. We love this favor of God. We love all those things, but we don't like when his truth and the convicting power infringes on our convenience. And we like things the way we like things. I've met way too many, been around way too many people who call themselves Christians but live like the devil in the rest of their life because they haven't allowed the convenience to be broken. See, our lives have to have this lordship in it that we submit to and everything the Lord says to us, we submit to that. In the Old Testament, when sacrifices were given, there's, there's lots of bloodshed. I mean, they bring these animals in and they put their hand on the head, slip their throat, take blood, throw it all over the altar. It's, it's brutal. Cut legs off and take the innards out and, and put it on the altar and there's smoke and, and, and aromas and all kinds of things going. And they bring birds and they tear the bird's head off and rip the wings. And I mean, you read this stuff, it's brutal. And yet somehow we think when we can come to Christ, we can just live the way we want. There's no deal of sacrifice that takes place on our part. Listen, the old, the physical that he gave us is a picture of what is to happen in the spirit realm. And for us, there needs to be a breaking. There needs to be a a, a dying to self, the scripture says. Paul said, I die daily. How How many of us are dying daily? I mean, honestly, dying daily. Repentance is not a quiet, superficial apology to God. Somewhere off in the corner, oh God... I'm just so sorry I did that. Repentance has nothing to do with apology. Repentance has to do with transformation. Repentance is not words. Repentance is action. 
I turned from what I'm doing and I'm doing something totally different. I've been transformed. This is the way I walked and now I'm walking in a new way. The Lord says, this is the way. Walk ye in it. Turn from your wicked ways. Not a popular message these days. Not only will many reject the truth, but people will gather others to agree with them. You ever been around people like that, that they're wrong and they want to spew as much of their poison out on somebody else and see who it splashes on and see if someone, yeah, yeah, that's right, sister. That's right, brother. I agree with you. And boy, they'll just grab that person and pull them right into the web of, of untruth and, 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 and garbage and, and muck and mire. They pull them right in. And the more people we get, the better we feel about ourselves. Is it any wonder that when you go in the bar room, you know, we, we talk about how, man, sometimes people are more accepted in the bar room than they are in the church. Well, of course. The bar room was full of people who are indulging in self. So when someone else walks through the door, what they want is to put their arm around you and say, come join the crowd. Oh, that the Lord could do that in the church in a reverse manner. We could put our arm around each other in holiness and righteousness and applaud each other for walking in the way of the Lord. If we're honest, we've all been around people that we agree with. And that's a good thing, especially when it involves Christian fellowship where we can encourage and pray for one another. So people who don't want anything to do with God gather themselves around people who also don't want anything to do with God. Let's be honest this morning. I mean, really deep honest with ourselves. Who wouldn't like to hear that you could sin all you want and still go to heaven? I mean, how many, how many, our, our flesh, if we could let our flesh talk this morning and let it run wild... And know that God still loved us and still wanted us to go to heaven in in that state. And who wouldn't like to hear that there are many paths to God if there is a God at all? And then it doesn't matter which way you go, as long as you're sincere, you can get to heaven. There's a lot of sincere people who are sincerely wrong and missing the truth of the gospel. Who wouldn't like to be around people who don't consider your lifestyle sinful, but rather celebrate your lifestyle as diverse? See, what happens is sin likes to put new words on it. We like to call adultery an affair. We like to call homosexuality and lesbianism an alternative lifestyle. You see how we kind of painted up something different? The truth of the matter is there's issues there that need to be addressed. See, this is a critical point because too often the church has been guilty of pushing people away. In fact, right, right into the arms of people who don't know Christ and don't care about him because they're, they, they're accepted as they are when they go there. So there's that tension when they come to the church that, that there's this there's this at least a facade, a persona in, a, in most churches, that there's something to be righteous there. But if we're honest with ourselves, then we could all open our hearts, realize that we are all sinners that need to be saved by grace. 
and that every one of us in this room have, have kinks in our armor. There's not one of us that walks through this life in perfection. And if we can learn to reach out and embrace people in their brokenness, and that's not to accept that lifestyle, but to accept them as a person because who God sees them as, as someone who he died for, someone he shed his blood for, someone that he went to the cross for. If we can see people through the eyes of Jesus Christ and not push them back out the door, but accept them into the life of Christianity, how wonderful that would be. As a church, it's important that we allow the Holy Spirit to convict people without our self-righteous judgments that often we are so quick to do. I don't know about you, but as a Christian, that's one of the things I fight. Is Lord, bring down that self-righteous attitude that loves to creep itself up. It is such an ugly spirit. It's disguised in piety. It's disguised in all the right things. But deep in the heart of it, it's the ugliest root of any Christian heart. Self-righteousness. God never said to judge anyone. But he did say to love. And my scripture tells me that love covers a multitude of sin. That doesn't mean we condone sinful behavior. And it'd be foolish to expect people who have not been born of God to act like Christians. Like somehow coming through that door transforms them. Or somehow stepping into your life transforms them. Oh, wish to God that the power of God was that strong that it would. And revivals in the past it had. There have been reports of whole towns that the, the bars are closed. The police have nothing to do but eat donuts and sip coffee. Because the power of God was so strong in some of the communities. But it happened because people prayed. And the power of God was present. And then we have this issue of our colleges which breed anti-Christian beliefs. Our young people are being poured into poison. First, because it gives young people an excuse to reject what they've learned about God because the scriptures and, and anything they've learned about the scriptures is the truth or, or whatever else. And, and then it gives them the appearance that it must be okay because this, this professional standing behind a podium in my college class, he, because he's a professional and he's getting paid to do this, it must be right. He's, it becomes sanctioned behavior through a very corrupt instructor. But secondly, it serves to confuse others who have legitimate questions but don't know where to find answers. And one of the things our students are being told is that we can only believe the things that we see. If you can't see it, it's not real, it's not true. In fact, one teacher decided to say that in the classroom. And he challenged the students to prove him wrong. And one young, bold Christian girl raised her hand and she said, Professor, I'd like to challenge you on that. And he said, smugly and snidely, go ahead. And he said, well, if we believe the instructor's line of reason, how many of you can see the instructor's hair? Raise your hand. They all raise their hand. How many of you can see the instructor's head? Raise your hand. They all raise their hand. How many of you can see the instructor's brain? No hands went up. By his reasoning, because we can't see his brain, he must not have one. See, man's reasoning is weak. It's flawed. 
So we also need to be prepared. How do we prepare ourselves? We've been talking about the season that we're in. We're talking about the season that is going, that is indeed, we're feeling the, the fringes of it now. We're feeling the outskirts of what's about to happen in our culture globally. But what happens when it's fully released? We've been talking about the fact that there are going to be people coming into this church that don't look the way we want them to look. Going to be people coming into this place. There are going to be people coming into your life that don't act the way you want them to act. Don't dress the way you want them to dress. Are you going to really love them? Are you going to allow some kind of exterior expression resist you from touching them with the grace of the gospel? The first thing we need to do in being prepared is we need to pray. And I'm not saying we need to pray for them. We need to pray for ourselves. Lord, prepare me, the songwriter said, to be a sanctuary. I don't know about you. The closer I get to God, the more religion I realize I have inside me. Saying, God, root, root that religious spirit out in Jesus' name. Root that religious spirit out. Only God can open a heart and mind. Only God can change your heart and mind. Not too long ago, we had some people leave the church, this church. When I called and questioned him, one of the reasons amongst many was just can't take the way those kids are dressed anymore. I went on to share with him the background of those kids, where they came from and what they've been through. And I said, sir, if you can't look past a little bit of exterior and love them for what God sees in them, then I want to pray for you. Pray. Pray. Look into the mirror of his word and pray. God, make me like Jesus. God, make me like Jesus. Remove anything that doesn't look like you. Remove anything that doesn't sound like you. And when you pray that way, the Lord's going to begin to give you a word. He's going to begin to open up the word. He's going to begin to open up scriptures to you. And he's going to begin to show you things in his word where he wants you to change. Where he wants you to share the word with somebody else. A word fitly spoken. A word spoken in love. A timely word. Not words just thrown out, but a word that's given for a specific time and a specific person in a specific place. Paul said to Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Don't wait till it gets here and say, oh my. I wish I had read the word more. On my way to work this morning, I was pondering the idea of 
I wonder how many people at Christian Life, if someone came today and asked you, I need to get saved, would you show me how to get saved in the Word? How many of you would simply know how to do that gentle and wonderful task of leading someone into the presence in the kingdom of God? If you don't know how to do that, I would commend you to the Scriptures commend you to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Learn what it is to lead others into the presence of the Lord. Because notice what Paul says, bring correction. Sometimes we have to rebuke, he says, and there are times that there's encouragement that's needed. But do all of that with great patience and careful instruction. Leading people to Jesus Christ is no easy task. That word preach means to herald or proclaim. Now, I realize that in this room, not all of you are called to do what I'm doing. Not all of you are called to do what Paul does in Scripture or what Timothy's doing. But he's called all of us to be heralders. He's called all of us to proclaim, to herald the word. Why? Why? Because it's truth, simply, because it's truth. Proclaim the truth. All scriptures God breathed. In other words, God himself spoke the words of scripture into the hearts of men as they authored them on a piece of paper. The Holy Spirit gave download to them. So if God doesn't know truth, somebody tell me, who does? Here's the point. Know what the Bible says about how to know for sure you're going to heaven. If you don't know for sure why or how you're going to get to heaven, how are you ever going to tell anybody else? 1 John 5.13 tells us that you can know. These things have been written so that you may know. Know what the scripture says about judgment. Know what the scripture says about grace. Know what scripture says about forgiveness. Know what scripture says about who you are in Christ. Not what the devil tells you, not what mom and dad have told you growing up, not what some preachers told you, but what the scripture says who you are in Christ. Know what he says about lost sinners. And know what he says about the destination of our adversary, Satan himself. Thirdly, bring your testimony. I love that scripture in Revelation where they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Your testimony is a powerful thing. Nobody can take your testimony away from you. We were so blessed here on Wednesday night. We were, our class was sharing about how to love people that we may look at as unlovely. I mean, we had such a powerful testimony on Wednesday that I wished we had it recorded. Uh, all of us sat here with our jaws dropped and our eyes wide open when Anne, sitting down front here, stood up and just shared where God brought her from. 
and how God's used this church to minister to her. It was powerful, powerful, powerful. And nobody can change your testimony. Your testimony is your testimony. So the world can say what they want to do what they want, but my testimony is my testimony. You can't tell me that God didn't do what he's done in my life. I've experienced it. That's why Peter says in chapter 3, 1 Peter, But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope. What's he saying? Have a testimony. Your testimony is the anchor of hope that you have. Everything else around you can go away, but when you're holding on to what Christ has done for you, you know that you know that you know that he's real. I have this hanker, which is steadfast and sure. But do this with gentleness and respect. I love how that's placed in there because too often we're too arrogant and too bold and too self-righteous when we present the truth of our testimony. God's not wanting us to look down our nose at someone like somehow we've arrived. But he's wanting us to look through the hands of grace as someone who has received. And we have been given much. And it's not because of how good we were. It's not by works of righteousness, the scripture says. In other words, there's nothing you can do to gain this salvation. You can't go to church enough. You can't put enough money in the plate. You can't help enough old ladies over the street, across the street, to get into heaven. The only way I can get into heaven is accept what Jesus Christ has done for me. When he shed his blood for me, he gave his life for me, that he purchased the, the, the pardon for my sin, that he covered my sin, that he, he not just covered it, he wiped it away. It's gone from the, as far as the east is from the west, the scripture says, so far has he removed our sin from us. So I come to him and I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Make your testimony personal. But also talk in ways that respect the person that you're visiting with. You don't need to scream at them. Like somehow raising your voice is going to make it more powerful. You're not going to convince them by raising the tone of your voice. Or certainly by condemning their lifestyle. Do you know that sinners know that they're sinners? If, if they don't recognize it as, I'm a sinner, at least they know that their lifestyle isn't making their spirit man content. They know that something is awry. And they may not use those words, I'm a sinner, but they know that something's not right. And what they want is my wayward lifestyle to be brought to a place where it's in connection with the one who created me and can fill me with wholeness and rightness and make my spirit man feel like I am in relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, God himself. And lastly, live a holy life. We mentioned this earlier. 
That's why I say pray. I'm saying, God, I want to pray. I want my life to live, be lived in such a way that there's not contradictions in my life. I want to live my life so that I don't give a sinner an excuse not to be a Christian. He says in verses 11 and 12, 1 Peter 2, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, check this out, though they're saying this about you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Have anybody ever thrown a a wrong accusation at you? If they haven't, I wonder if you're really living for Jesus. Be the exact opposite of what people have been taught to expect of Christians. Those Christians are arrogant. They're narrow-minded. All they want is your money. That's why when I go to restaurants, especially if they know I'm a Christian, if I'm with somebody and, and I've even prayed, if I've done anything that looks spiritual in that place, if I've prayed and I have any idea that somebody might have seen me pray, when it comes time to give, I'm not going to get my calculator out and figure out 15%. It's $1.73. I want to give. You realize that God has given you much more than you deserve. God has given you the riches of his kingdom. He's called you to be joint heirs. We are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? That we have that royal blood flowing through it, not because of anything we did. Now that method of giving becomes a little challenging when you've got a terrible server. But how many know that God demonstrated his love towards you while you were a terrible server? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. Father God, we thank you. You are awesome. You're a good father. You're a good father. You're a wonderful father. You're a great father. You're a father of perfection. Everything you do is right. Everything you do is just. Everything you do is pure and it's holy. It's because that's who you are. And Daddy, would you help us to look more like you? Would you help us to look more like your son, Jesus Christ? Father, I ask personally that in me you would strip every ounce of self-righteousness, oh God. Anything, oh God, that would exalt itself above the working of your spirit in my heart. Oh God, strip it of my life. 
Strip it. Strip it, Lord. Strip it from my life, oh God. Strip it, Lord God. Pray for your church, Lord. Pray for your church. Spirit of God. As we go in this season of outpouring of your spirit, Lord, prepare our hearts to be vessels that are recipients of more of your glory, more of your power. To do that, we need to get rid of more of ourself. I'm praying that your Holy Spirit would lay seasons of fasting on us, Lord. Seasons of prayer, Lord God, that it wouldn't be just an hour on Sunday morning before service, but we'd find ourselves wanting to get alone with you, God. Lord, bathe, bathe your church with righteousness. Bathe us in purity. Spirit of conviction, be upon the church today. Be upon your church today, God. We know you're coming for a glorious church. We know you're coming for a glorious church. A church that's not spotted and wrinkled by the ways of the world. Teach us what that means. Show it what it means in our life, Lord God. We are your church. We are your people. Bring us into alignment with holiness and righteousness, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As the men come, we want to take.